0: Are you an agent struggling to understand real estate economics? Would you benefit from learning how top agents structure their businesses? Then you've come to the right place. And welcome to the Nerdy Agent Podcast, where we teach you the basic economic and business principles you need to thrive in today's real estate market. I'm your host, Luke Petterson, with my brothers and fellow nerds, AJ and Josh. How's it going, guys?
1: It's good. We're doing two episodes today. You won't know if Woo! you're a listener, because you'll get them the same time, but we're all gonna be out of town next week. It's out great. of town. Where are you guys great. Wait, where are you going? Luke, you know where I'm
0: going. This is just a facetious question. <laughs> I actually don't know where AJ's going. I'm, I'm going, going to, Vegas. to Tennessee. Oh. Um, ten year wedding anniversary six days early. Congratulations. But Pretty exciting stuff. It'll be great. Gonna stay in a dome. Oh fuck. Big glass dome. There's gonna be a football field in there. There's some batting cages. (laughs) None of that. Me and there is a hot tub. Yes. That's nice. Me and Josh are going to be firing off some awesome parlays mm-hmm. at the sports book in
1: Vegas. And learning and networking and you know, oh, just experiencing all that there so is to do ahead. at ExpCon and Zillow that. Unlock. We're going to be a little bit of everywhere just soaking up information and not partying at all.
0: Becoming more and more nerdy as the days go on. And we'll have a good time too. Getting into the would you rather of the week, which is a good one that we just thought of five minutes ago. Would you rather buy real estate on Mars? or in the metaverse? This is an interesting question for sure. This is basically a Mark Zuckerberg versus Elon Musk question. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everyone, I feel like I like and Elon Well, Snoop, Snoop Dogg yeah. is in the metaverse too, though, Snoop. so you gotta weigh that, right? That's, that's a big deal. I think i choose Mars because it's real.
1: Yeah. I think I would too. Choose... <laughs>
0: oh no, we're all gonna agree.
1: Okay, fine, I'll choose the metaverse. <laughs> and I will, sh- can I short real estate in the metaverse? Is that yeah. an option? Sure. Um, Sorry. Yeah. There's a, there's a component of that whole thing that I've always told people, like I will never be that person that gets old and doesn't understand what technology is doing. And then that happened. And now I have no idea what the world is. I
0: I will be that person for sure. The, The reason, the reason I like Mars is like we talk about, it's, it's real. There's actual land backing the asset, whether or not it's livable on that land is another question. However, in the metaverse, it's just artificially created supply and demand. You don't really know what's going to be pretty volatile. But my NFTs,
1: thing. man, they're going to go somewhere. Well,
0: if you buy a house next to Soup Dog, I mean, it's going to be worth a lot. That's going to, yeah. I think he's yeah. got a house in there. Yeah.
1: A lot of them do. Big deal. <laughs> On
0: today's deal. episode, we are going to talk about how I. If anyone knows work, more about the metaverse, can you guys
1: tell us, please, how it works? <laughs> You can do a Nerdy Agent podcast. You can be a guest. We'll do a whole yes. one on it. We'll just quiz you. If you and want to, it, there you go.
0: DM us if you know everything that needs to know about the metaverse and you can become a nerdy agent just like us. Yes. Getting into the actual podcast and what matters today. What we're going to be talking about is how iBuyers work, how they impact the market and why that should matter uh, for agents and for anybody that's not a real estate agent that is just listening to our podcast because I imagine we have a lot of those as well. Starting with the bare bones. What's an buyer? Yeah, I mean the the I and I buyer essentially stands for instant. So they they buy homes online without looking at them um, as is, and then they typically flip them. So there's companies like uh, Open Doors, the biggest one in the marketplace. Um, they're buying many, many, many homes. Uh, they're followed by OfferPad, which is a smaller one. Uh, there are others out there that are institutional that are doing this sort of thing. Um, the large majority of them wouldn't probably just be ripping off an offer right away, like right off, you know, through an algorithm necessarily. Um, but as you may know, if you've, uh, followed this world, Zillow was previously in this space, lost millions and millions of dollars and, uh, has now exited. So and I think realtor.com would be probably the next one that's close there as well. They are doing it a little
1: bit. Yeah. A lot of people are dabbling. Smaller scale. I mean, open doors by far the biggest, so yeah. not to get ahead of us here.
0: And, and why should agents care about this or even follow the, follow the events on it or follow even their profits on the quarterly reportings?
1: I think much like people talk about other large real estate companies as agents, it's important to understand what they do and why they're doing it and not just be that person that goes on online and talks smack when opened or lost money or had a lawsuit, right? It's very easy for agents to just kind of gang up on these guys because they make our lives harder. But the reality is, is they, make, they exist to make a client's life better and they exist to try to make some money in the middle. But I think it's important to know because as these grow, they impact specifically your relationships with sellers uh, because oftentimes you may be working with a seller that has just gotten an offer from Opendoor or has gotten a letter in the mail and says, should I consider this? And so understanding what they're doing and how they're doing it is really important um, I've lost listings to Open Door, but the reason I lost them is because I told my seller it was better for them to go with mm-hmm. Open Door based on what they heard than to go with me. And I'm not going to lie to them and say otherwise. Mm-hmm. So um, it impacts your business and it also impacts your clients and you should know about it because of that.
0: And, and getting getting into iBuyers and kind of what's their, what's the process look like for an iBuyer when they buy a house? Like what is their goal at the end of the day? I mean, you have to make money and that is one of their goals. You're guys. supposed to make money. Making They're money. supposed to. I, I would say... Um, They've uh, kind of made that a future goal of theirs, and their current goal is market share. So Brand awareness. Brand awareness, market share, getting more signs in the ground, getting more um, houses purchased and sold, uh, getting more marketing out there, all that kind of stuff. Scaling the process. But at the bare bones of like, what's an iBuyer do? Right, They buy it directly from the sellers. They do very light fix-up, if any, and they try to resell it at a profit if they can. They try and bank on the market appreciation, mm-hmm. essentially. They sell it usually like three to six months in the future, probably. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They really are just banking on the appreciation, which is interesting. I mean, they make, they typically make some money up front on their fees on the purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, they, they try to sell it at a gain after three months, which I don't know if we're getting into this, but it's going to become more and more difficult as we move forward here because uh, the market's not appreciated like it once was. I think mm-hmm. we all have some pretty strong opinions on how the – Outlook for iBuyers is, um, which we will get into a little bit later, but we mostly want to make sure people understand them and what to look at, especially when clients bring it up. So getting into kind of the numbers a little bit, though, um, tell us about the biggest companies and, and, you know, what their numbers are looking like recently.
1: Yeah, Open Door is the biggest. Um, We talked about them on our earnings episode, so if you haven't listened to that one, go back and listen. Uh, but they did in Q3 over $5 billion in revenue. So just for purpose of scale, that's an enormous company. Uh, Offerpad is second, and they did around $700 million in revenue. So Opendoor is far and away the what the phrase is 800-pound gorilla in the room. Um, and so they're the ones that keep the closest eye on in terms of how they're behaving because their activity can actually swing markets, right? We saw, at least in our market, I think dating back about a year, they bought a ton of inventory, and all of a sudden you'd be driving around and be like, every house for sale is an open door house. And so it both impacts your inventory in your market, but it also impacts that was the same time when I lost a listing. I know other people have lost listings. I lost one for sure. Because they were really aggressive in their buying as they were looking to scale. So they made very competitive offers that when you did the math, you're like, you're better off selling to them.
0: And I think it's important for the listeners to also understand since we are in Minnesota, Everything's a little bit less here because Open Door and I mean Arizona, I think was there. It was just exploded. They were buying like every house almost down yep. in Arizona for a while, which made a big difference for that market. Um, and before we get into the script of the week, I I kind of want to talk about we follow we hyper focus on those reports. I think there it's kind of like Zillow, EXP, and Open Door would be kind of the mm-hmm. next one that we look at. Um, as far as with Q four, you know it's not here yet, but going into twenty twenty three. What what are we looking for from their report to kind of give it an idea on what they're what they're looking like? Well, their Q three reports probably coming out in the next month. So, sure. Yep. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think like the the revenue numbers. It's always so funny when the revenue is really really big. The stock always jumps for some of these companies, which is always interesting. When you're selling houses, it's a really expensive product. So to get to one million, when you have five hundred thousand per house, is only twenty houses. So, um, you know, you could say two thousand houses is a billion dollars. One, one million is two houses. Two houses. Yeah. Sorry, so to get to a billion would be a thousand times two, two thousand. Yeah. So two thousand houses gets you to one billion, right? So eight thousand houses gets you to four billion, ten thousand to five billion. It's 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 less product than maybe you'd think, but they're doing it the most. Um, but they're selling expensive things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so beyond the revenue, we try to look at okay, are they making money on each house on average, or are they losing money on each house on average? Because Hypothetically, as a business gets more mature in a space like this, they get more efficient and they hopefully have less expenses and more revenue, so that they're making money. And I don't, Josh. I mean, you can report they have they they have
1: recently reported, and I think they're probably prepping everybody for an earnings call. But they mentioned that they've been selling houses at a loss, so below the price that they bought them at. Now,
0: Um, wait, so below the price they bought them at—that's that was what
1: I recently read. So I think there's an outlook now. The fear is the the thought was, and when we went over this on the earnings call, this is my like you know, in general, their business model concerns me in that when the market is good and inflation is happening, if you buy a house and sell it three months later, but the market's up 12%, in theory, you just made 3% by holding it. When the market's not inflating, and when in Minnesota, we're actually going backwards slide pricing-wise because we're going into the winter season, it's a lot harder to make money on just holding a property. You have to actually buy it under market to add equity through the fix-ups you're doing and then to market in a way that's going to sell it for more than they were going to sell it previously. And
0: I think my biggest concern, thats that's one of the concerns, my biggest concern about the model is that aside from the clients, the sellers that find value in not having to put it on the market, not having to show the house to anybody, or having to leave the house for showings, um, or having to buy another house non-contingent, whatever that might be, is a smaller segment of the market. And the sellers that, in order to gain enough market share that they have to get, Typically, are running the numbers between if they're going to make more money from the iBuyer buyer or putting it on the market themselves. Yep. And if they're making more money from the iBuyer buyer, they're going to sell it to the iBuyer buyer. But it's typically going to be at a price that the iBuyer buyer is not going to be able to make. Well, I just got a notification my Sorry. Oh shoot. Oh man. shoot it?
1: That was ten full minutes of podcasting. That was no, so perfect. Oh, was no, we can start over. Pick we up can right where we left off. I say we pick up.
0: And just cut and then it. then I'm gonna need somebody else's phone. Is it, is Her the phone is too Can you delete a video from a couple weeks ago? Actually, yeah, let me. That was just my, just my, my favorite ones point ones. about iBuyers. <laughs> hmm? I just don't I think it's. After technical difficulties, we are going to resume here with. Start over. <laughs> I forgot. That was not good. No, start over. Oh, we're just going to keep going? Just okay. start from where you were. Should I just start? Yeah. Before we get into the script of the week, I also want to talk about um, our opinions on iBuyers. I mean, you mentioned if the market is slow, it's going to be a little bit harder. The other unique thing that I think and struggle they're going to run into is that typically, when we talk about losing listings to iBuyers as well, is that the segment that they're going after is typically going to be comparing if they can make more money selling to the iBuyer or more money on the actual market. And if the case is that they're going to make more money selling to the actual iBuyer, the iBuyer is probably paying too much for it and they're not going to be able to make any money on the back end. And so if they just continually get that person, it's going to be really hard to make any money, especially when the market's downturning. And like you had said, they're starting to maybe sell some houses at a little bit of a loss.
1: Um, yeah, it's, I think um, AJ loves Rich Barton. We both love actually listening to Rich on Zillow. And when he exited the iBuying, that quarterly earnings call, uh, One thing he said, he said two things. One, they actually didn't get great brand awareness with their clients. And so Zillow is all about the consumer experience. But when 90% of their offers were rejected, it actually was like a negative brand experience that their potential buyers had with Zillow. And two, the 10% that did accept their offers only accepted them because their offers were not favorable for Zillow. Meaning like, oh shoot, we offered too much. And so you kind of do run into this cherry picking situation um, where the offers that get accepted are the ones that you're like, at, in hindsight, we should not have offered that much because the localization component is lost in large-scale iBuying. So it's a national algorithm that's thrown out of price, but they don't understand the local market cut as well. This also leads to challenges in the back end with selling these houses. Oftentimes, the local component is not as well weighed. So like, for example, I, tried to, I went through an open-door listing last January, and the heat was off. Because they didn't realize that in Minnesota in January, your heat has to be on. Mm-hmm. And they don't just have someone come not living in the house, not checking on it. So I had to call the agent and be like, hey, you should turn the heat on or else we're going to have a problem here. It's 45 degrees in the house. Mm-hmm. So those are some of the things that happen when you're operating on a national scale, but trying to succeed in localized markets. And so it's, it's a tricky challenge for them to figure out without adding expenses.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and let's get into some specific situations for the script of our week that you might run into with clients. Um the first one I want to talk about is you walk into a listing presentation, the sellers have received an offer from an iBuyer, so how does that conversation go with them? Um fantastic. Uh you could ask about their goals, right? But I always say um I believe that options are great. I mean, that's why we actually think that this segment of the market is helpful for consumers. That being said, um, I'd want to know more details about you know what the price and terms of that offer were, um, whether you know, their net number is probably going to be bigger on the market. Or to be honest, Frank, like if there's a better person that would buy it for even more money than Open Door would, that's an investor here locally. So, to Josh's point, they're buying homes at a national scale. So sometimes their numbers are way too high and sometimes they're way too low. It's it's hard for them to hit that. Their algorithm, I'm sure, is getting better and better as we go. Um, but, you know, maybe if that seller is actually looking for the convenience of this sort of eye buyer situation, you know, you offer them, hey, I actually have some local investors that would buy it. And I think they probably would pay more than this is right here, you know. Um, or maybe it's just money. And in that case, then it's, okay, well, your net number is going to be, you know, this. If you go on the market, it looks like your net numbers be quite a bit lower if you go with this I buyer situation. Or to Josh's point again, too, maybe it's better. Yeah. And maybe you just tell them straight up, like, that's a great offer. You're going to make way more money. Let's move this thing forward so we can help you get into, the next, into your next purchase, you know?
1: Yeah. A line I use a lot is my job is to help you have the best outcome, not to sell you a house or just sell your house. So I'd be glad to look over your offer from Opendoor, give you some guidance. I can evaluate their contract for you. I'm not going to make you pay me for that. And I'll just give you my thoughts on it, right? I have a listing presentation here. I have comparables. I can give you a rough range of where I think at your house would sell. And then we can do the math together and see what the difference is. If there is a difference in selling on market, like you maybe will make, let's say how much, $5,000 more, then the next thing you need to weigh is how much does that impact your life and how much is that worth? Because there is more effort associated with selling on market. You might have to fix things. You might have to stage things. And then you got people coming through your house and then there's uncertainty with exactly where the price lands versus this is a more certain thing. So if the gap is significant, oftentimes it's not worth it to go with these offers. I think their hit rate is pretty low. But there are certain cases where I, I looked at this one offer and I said, Wayne, your best decision is to sell to these guys. It's I'm not going to do this well for you.
0: I had one earlier in the spring that was $20,000 more from a net than we were going to get in the market. Yep. And that was even at a price where I thought we might get this price. So if it makes way more sense, obviously you're going to go with it. I think. And at the, the reason percent, why
1: is long-term, always have a long-term outlook. So this client felt bad that I told him to not use me. He's like, but what about your commission? I was like, Wayne, I, I'm here to help you, right? He is going to be moving in another year and he's already told me he's going to use me to sell his house when he moves again. And instead of just chasing that one commission, when you then are chasing the commission, this person's going to wait you against that open door offer that you knew you couldn't beat on the front end. So when you list this house and they have to go back to them and be like, I, oh, we have to drop the price. They'll be like, why did you tell me to list this house with you? They're going to have a terrible experience. They're never going to use you again. Work with you work with you and the the
0: term the term there though that we're looking for is the lifetime value of a client yes it's, it's more important yeah. than one transaction getting in so the opposite side of that then that's the sellers let's say you're going to because we see a lot of the open door houses on the market you're going to tour a house with a buyer how does it change kind of with what you're looking for and what you're telling your client for you in the house yeah, I mean it's it's not too dissimilar from going to look at a foreclosure, and not necessarily from a condition perspective, but more so for like Josh is saying, the heat might not be on, um, the lights are definitely going to be off. You're just walking into a blank house, and they're most of the time they're not staged, they're vacant. It's really
1: fun to schedule showings at them too, right?
0: Sometimes oh. you have to call a one eight hundred number to get a showing scheduled rather than just using this showing time system that's already set up with our MLS, um, which is fun uh but that being said when you negotiate the one funny thing is they like sometimes will act like they have a real seller which was kind of comical i almost told the guy i was talking to i didn't want to be a jerk i almost said tell the computer that that our counter offer is this because it's really just going into a computer Mm -hmm. sir i know you know he's like down in texas and he's like wow they just dropped the, the seller just dropped the price i don't know how much i can get him to move and I wanted to be like your seller's a computer. Like, you, what are you talking about? The yeah, seller about? just dropped you're the price. Person- you're personifying them. That's the not rhythm. real. Um, L-G rhythm. L-G rhythm. Rhythm. So, rhythm. So, uh, p- well, point being like, it the experience might be different than if you're working with a normal seller. I think is the most important thing. So, like we talk about sometimes, like, well, if it's this many is on market at this price, you can kind of offer this amount. The rules might be out the window a little bit in these scenarios, and I think. If you see the nice thing is, you're gonna know what the, how the seller's doing when they do their quarterly earnings report. So they're gonna come out there and say, oh crap, we're losing all this money. Well, now all the agents that are paying attention and listening are going, on, going to those houses and saying, they've gotta dump this gotta stuff. This. Yep. So we can be a lot more aggressive with our yep. offer. I think it's important to know on the offer too, it's just a lot less emotional. Yep, it is. And I've even been told by those listing agents, like, you bring your offer. They say no, you can just raise that offer a little bit and it might get you a counter on the next one because they don't care what the initial offer is because it's a computer. Yeah. They just type 350 and then 355, they just type it in. They don't care that you offer 350 initially. Right. Um, and so it's important to know. And that's all we have today on the Nerdy Agent Podcast. Nice work. Remember, be better.